You know who uh, doesn't ignore their spouse? You know who um, doesn't focus exclusively on themselves? You know who doesn't worship money or treat other human beings as toys meant for their personal pleasure? You know who doesn't do anything to get ahead? You know who doesn't kneel on an innocent black man's neck until he dies or stand silently by and do nothing about it? You know who doesn't do these things? Friends of God, do not do these things. But to be something, you need to do something. Hear the words of James chapter 4. Ancient words that resonate, I believe, powerfully today. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Man, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself or makes herself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, quote, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, end quote. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers or sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or sister or judges his brother or sister speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Did the first bit of it there, when it was talking about the fact that we murder because of the evil and darkness in our own hearts, did that just strike awe in your heart that God would care to set up James chapter 4 to be preached in this church, in your house, in this week, when this act is resonating across our continents? The murder of an innocent black man by a white police officer. When I came to this text, it struck me this week like a bolt of lightning. And I'm glad to say that I found in the text seven things you can do to be God's friend. To be something, you have to do something. And there are seven ways to be God's friend. First way to be God's friend is to submit. 
Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Every time I get to preach on submission in this church or any church I've ever pastored, I do it with a bit of a wry grin on my face because submission is everybody's least favorite word. Hupotasso, or hupotasso menai. Submit, be subject to. This is <laughs> the number one reason, probably, why most of your peers hate Christianity, can't stand the concept of it, because embedded in the story of God and his people is this truth. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Be subject to God. The great truth at the heart of the story of God and his people is that God is the king and you are his subject. I'll say it one more time. God is the king. You are his subject. If you want to be God's friend, you must submit to his authority. Have you been noticing that this is a through line through almost every message so far in this series? If that's been resonating with you, pay attention. It's like, Bebo, 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 Bebo. Submit to God's authority. God is the king. You are his subject. Ergo, do what God says. What does God say? God says, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. God is king, you're his subject. Therefore, do what he says. What does God say? God says, love God, love your neighbor. Who is my neighbor, you ask? George Floyd was your neighbor. George Floyd was my neighbor. And so is every other person of color who is either invisible to you or whom you have treated as a threat throughout your life for no reason other than they have a different pigmentation to their skin. Who is my neighbor? George Floyd was my neighbor. So is every marginalized meth head that you cross the street to avoid in the heart of downtown. He is your neighbor. She is your neighbor. So is the marginalized single parent living in subsidized housing. And every time we have ever looked down our nose at them, judging them in our heart because their children look unkempt or their clothes look uncared for or their faces look drawn and we assume the worst about their personal habits. We are forgetting that they too are our neighbor, the immigrant family struggling to make ends meet as they learn the language. They are your neighbor. There's an immigrant family in my neighborhood and there are neighbors in my neighborhood who are upset with our new neighbors because they don't yet know that Canadians only hang out in the backyard. They come from a country where you hang out in the front yard. Why? Because when you're in the front yard, somebody shout, you'll actually see your neighbors. But no, we look down our noses at them because their lawn furniture strewn on the front yard is potentially dragging down the property values in our neighborhoods. To any one of us who has ever felt that way, I say in Jesus' name, repent. They are our neighbor. So is the 90-year-old suffering with dementia, dying from COVID-19 in your local nursing home. They are your neighbor. If you want to be God's friend, be subject to him. Do something. Here is the something you must do. Receive it. Love your neighbor. I mean, God, we could, we could stop the whole sermon right there. How long have I been preaching, Steve? Eight minutes? Ten minutes? Love your neighbor. 
You want to be God's friend? Second point, resist. (laughs) I can preach this point. Verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. There is a really important linguistic convention in verse 7 that you need to know about. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The linguistic convention that is at work here in verse 7 is this. You are meant to read verse 7 this way. When you resist the devil, then he will flee from you. Receive it. When you resist him, then he will flee from you. I'm willing to bet there's a very good chance that you have not yet resisted unto death in your striving against sin. I bet it hasn't happened in your life. I know it hasn't happened consistently in my own life. You feel assailed by the devil, assailed by the darkness, assailed by your bad habits. How much time do you spend resisting them? Let this be a clarion call for you today. When you resist the devil, then he will flee from you. And let me say this very important thing. We don't just resist the devil, we resist all his works as well. So let's call the works of the devil what they are, okay? If this offends you, you're welcome, all right? You're welcome. The selfish husband is not just selfish, he's evil. So next time you find yourself acting evil, stop it. Selfishness is evil. Okay, the shrewish controlling wife is not just shrewish or controlling. You've all met them, right? She's not just shrewish or controlling, she's evil. Why is it evil to be shrewish and controlling? Because you're acting like God. Trying to get your husband to do what you want him to do. Stop being evil. A money-chasing business person is not just a money-chasing business person. They are an idolater. And idolatry is, you guessed it, evil. A police officer who strangles an innocent black man to death is not just doing his job. He is acting like the devil who comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Let us call a spade a spade. This act was evil. And what I find most frightening about evil acts is how close to the surface they lie in my own heart. I'm quite sure I'm not the only person who has ever been enraged when somebody cuts me off in traffic. I'm quite sure I'm not the only person who has ever been enraged when somebody betrays me. I'm here to tell you that the Bible teaches that when you succumb to feelings of rage in your heart against someone else made in the image of God, you might as well have already murdered them because that is what you have done in your heart. Let me say, a white, privileged pastor who quietly says nothing about the events of this week for fear of offending, is not being wise, he's being evil. And so I could not help it this week, and I would not stay silent. And so I say to you, my friend, as you go about your days, every time you see evil in your heart or in the hearts of those around you, resist! Resist it! You know what I thought as I saw the video? Of those policemen killing that man? I thought to myself, if I had been there, would I have had the courage to tackle that police officer and to drive him in the ground to stop that evil act from unfolding? And the very next thought was, boy, he might have shot you if you'd done that. 
to stand by and do nothing when evil has its way is evil. Resist. To resist means to set against, to oppose, to withstand, to say no more. That's what it means to resist. My question to you is this, and I'm trying to say it with as much love as I can muster. What have you done lately to resist the evil that is loose, not just in the wide world, but in your heart also? I mean, somebody shout. What have you done to resist evil lately? Resist. Because that's what God's friends do. They also, point number three, draw near. Verse eight, this is beautiful. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And yes, the same linguistic convention is at work in this verse. When, I can't even. When, receive it. When you draw near to God, then he will draw near to you. That may be the most important pastoral point I've made in months. Receive it. I got the Holy Spirit making my ears ring. When you draw near to God, then he will draw near to you. Uh, God never talks to me, Pastor. Do you ever talk to him? Um, God never does anything in my life, Pastor. Um, Do you do the works of God in your life? Let me just pause here to say, it's very important, don't miss this, receive it. God tends to meet his people on his mission. If you are living your life divorced from the mission of God, do not be surprised that you never see him. Because he is at work ministering to the downtrodden, the oppressed, the broken, the immigrant, the single mother, the black man getting strangled in the street. Jesus is near to the brokenhearted. And if you spend your life trying to insulate yourself as much as possible from as much brokenness as possible, it's no wonder that you never see him. If you want to see the Lord, go where the Lord is. And I'm here to tell you where the Lord is. Oh, he is walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Chance you never see him because you're not on his mission. Never does anything. I never see the Lord. Okay, one more hard pastoral question because I love you. I really care about you. I really do. You never see God? Does God ever see you on your knees in the secret place seeking his face? Somebody shout! I can't tell you in 26 years how many anemic Christians I have met who are disillusioned with Christianity who need to hear this word. When was the last time God saw you on your knees seeking his face? If you want to be God's friend, act like it. (laughs) Talk to him. Do his works. Go see him sometime. Hallelujah. That's how you'll find release, by the way, when you're face-to-face with God. Because God's friends, point number four, cleanse. Verse eight, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Katharisate, from which we get the word catharsis, which means release. I'm here to tell you, as a Bible-preaching pastor who loves you, that there is no release from the angst that binds you outside 
of relationship with God. This is why so many people you know are so miserable despite their best efforts to make themselves happy. There is no release, no catharsis outside of relationship with God because God and God alone is the one who makes step five possible. Purify. <laughs> Verse eight, purify your hands, you double-minded. Hagnisate, here is the Greek word. Hagnisate, purify, cleanse from defilement. Here's my take-home point. This is so epic. Um, you need some uh, hand sanitizer for your soul. Yes, you, you, you need some hand sanitizer for your soul, and Jesus is the soul sanitizer. As he hung on the cross, he suffered and died in your place for your sins. He bore the punishment that you should have borne. Your filthy sin was laid on him, the spotless Lamb of God, and God his Father punished him, God the Son, in your place for your sin. Every sin you've ever committed, every sin you'll ever commit, was laid on him in that great hinge moment of history, and Jesus paid it all. The soul sanitizer died so that you might live. And because he was God the Son made flesh, he didn't stay dead, but he arose again the third day, defeating in his body the power of Satan's sin, death, and hell forever. And his victory is your victory now. And someday when he returns, you will be with him forever. Why? Because the soul sanitizer has cleansed you, and you are now clean as snow. Oh, from now on, every time I smell hand sanitizer, I will think about my Jesus. Yes, I will. Jesus has made you clean. Jesus can make you clean. Friend, come to Jesus today. If you're watching this and right now you feel a weight on your chest, that's the Holy Spirit telling you to give up and come to Jesus. Come to Jesus right now. Right where you're watching, right now, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, right now in this moment, I know this is for me. I believe everything this guy is saying, even though I never believed it before. Make me your child. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me with the blood of Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and begin teaching me from this day forward what it means to learn to love, serve, follow, obey, and enjoy you all the days of my life. Friend, welcome to the family. Go get some uh, hand sanitizer and take a bath. Because Jesus has made you clean. And when and only when you have been made clean will you be released from the pain and the anxiety of your past and from the consequences of your own evilness. Only once you have been made clean in Jesus will you find joy and peace for the first time. Why? Because you are God's friend now. Hallelujah! You are God's friend now. And sometimes God's friends mourn Point number six, taken from verse nine. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Friend, I'm here to tell you that George Floyd's murder troubled me this week like nothing has troubled me since ISIS beheaded 21 Christians on that beach in Libya back in 2015. The trouble in my heart and the gospel of Christ's 
leads me to ask you this question. How many more acts of evil will we allow before we let our laughter, our cavalier Western attitude like everything's fine and you know what we're really worried about is professional sports starting back up again and we're super concerned about the potential dip in our real estate value. When will we let that laughter, that carefree living be turned to mourning and our joy, that self-assured conviction that we are somehow the masters of our own destiny, absolutely entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, no matter how many of the week we have to kneel on on our way to living our best life now, how long, friends, until we let that fake joy turn to gloom? Does this sound a little bit like a tirade? Um, That's okay, I'm just getting started because in two weeks I'll get to preach this doozy of a passage to you. James 5, 1-6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. I mean, I hope that that makes you feel like you need to repent. That's what it does to me. I need to repent. It is time for you and me to take a very hard look at ourselves to determine how we have become complicit in the ravaging of the world. It is time for us to say no more to ourselves. It is time for us to no longer allow ourselves to sit on the sidelines as evil runs loose in our world. It is time to say no more because that is what God's friends do, which you guessed it is going to require with my last point, lots of humility. Point seven, to be God's friend you need to humble yourself. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Remember that song from Sunday school? Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up higher and higher and he will lift you up. Humble yourself. You get high by getting low. Yeah, I'll say it again. You get high by getting low. You get first by being last. You find life by laying yours down. You find freedom by being God's slave. Somebody shout in this house. Christianity is an upside-down way of living. It is absolutely unexpected, absolutely marvelous, absolutely difficult, and absolutely life-giving. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever would save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a person if they gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? Or what will a person give in return for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done 
I don't even need to say anything else. So, Kathy, you might as well join me on stage because I'm done. Friend, if you lay down your life for Jesus' sake, you will find it. And here's what I love about this, and it also terrifies me just a little bit. The thing about laying down your life for Jesus' sake is that no one else can force you to do it. No one else can force you to do any of this. You submit. You resist. You draw near. You cleanse. You purify because of what Jesus has done for you. You mourn. You humble yourself. You speak up and act out to the mending of the world because that is what Jesus' friends do. And somebody say, Amen.